Well, turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're continuing, of course, our study. We're calling it basically the history of Israel, but we're going through First uh, and Second Samuel. We started with, of course, Samuel himself, and then we saw the first king, Saul, and now we're seeing the second king, David. And David is described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. When you think of David, we always think of basically two different things. We think of David and Goliath, how when he was probably 14 or 15 years old, he killed this man that was 9 feet 9 inches tall, Goliath. And then we think of this story, the story that we just read last couple of weeks, David and Bathsheba and all the bad things that happened there. And we just finished seeing that, and it's terrible. And we look at David's life, we see his failure, his sin, uh, committing adultery, lying all about it, and then having uh, Bathsheba's husband killed. And so that was murder. And so all of that ties in there. So it's a sad time in the life of David. We said that the first 10 chapters of, of 2 Samuel is David in triumph, and the rest of the book is David in trouble. And it's sort of a tough time. We're going to see confrontation today. And uh, we don't like confrontation. In fact, probably nobody in this room except a few weird people who really like to confront people. But confrontation, we see that Nathan the prophet is going to be sent by God. God's going to send him to David to deal with his sin. And David's been hiding it. Some of the Bible scholars say that between chapter 11 and chapter 12 could be as long as a year. We know there's a, it's a time enough that David, as when he writes in the Psalms, that his body's hurting him and he's got pain everywhere and he's depressed and everything. And that's because he didn't deal with his sin. So it has to be a little bit of time in between chapter 11 and chapter 12. And we're going to look this morning just at the first six verses, and, and we're going to see the confrontation. And the truth is most of us don't like confrontations, and uh, it, it, it's easier not to. And we'll talk about how it fits together, and we'll see what happens, what God does with David's life, and uh, we'll see how that fits together. Most of the time, we don't want to admit that we're wrong. I mean, let's just face it. It's really somebody else's fault. We always want to blame somebody else. Our society has become a society of victims. It's always somebody else's fault. When somebody even kills somebody, it's not not their fault. It's their background. It's their cultures where they grew up. If we're not faithful, well, it's because my school didn't teach me or my parents. It's my parents' fault because they did this. And most of the time, we don't want to say it's our fault. And the truth is, we need to take responsibility for our own actions. And when we sin... We need to admit it and deal with it. That's what we've been seeing. We've talked about it in these last few weeks about what happens when we sin. We're to confess our sin and forsake it and all those kind of things like that. We've been seeing it. And, you know, there's a great truth that, first of all, for the whole issue of salvation, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus Christ died in our place to pay for our sin. And when we believe in him, we have eternal life. And, and, and then as a believer, we think about how do we live? How do we live as a believer? Well, sometimes we sin. And let me say it this way. A lot of times we sin, and we have to deal with it. We recognize that we've come short of the glory of God again, and that we confess our sins. And so we've talked about that. This morning, David is going to be confronted. We're only going to look at six verses, and actually we'll read the very beginning of verse 7. But we're just going to see what happens this morning. And we're going to look at some different things about sin and those kind of things. Remember that uh, we, we talked about how uh, David had committed adultery, and he had Uriah killed, and all those kind of things. And you stop and think, David... I mean, when you look at his life from the time he was a young boy and as a fighter and growing up and being and now being a king, and, a, and we say, man, David is a man after God's own heart, and he messed up. And the truth is this. We have to realize that we're all capable of, of sin, of any sin. In fact, every one of us in this room, we sin. Uh, if I said, do you sin a lot? Almost every one of us in this room would say, what? 
Yeah, and if we don't say we sin a lot, what we're doing is we're saying, well, that's not really sin when it probably is. But anyway, we're all capable of any sin. We talked about sin and temptation. We see it, we want it, we take it, we hide it. We saw that's what David did. And, and we see in our lives, there's something that we see, we're attracted, we want it. That's the temptation. Temptation is not sin. Uh, Jesus was tempted in all points yet without sin. But uh, then we take it and we actually try to hide it. And we see in the life of David, there are consequences. And then we talk about dealing with sin. And we see that in this passage so far, David hasn't dealt with the sin. And we saw what he did. He saw Bathsheba. He wanted her. He took her. And he hid it. And then when they couldn't hide it, because now Bathsheba is, is going to have a baby and they got to figure out what to do, he tried to get Uriah to come home and go and sleep with his wife. And then they would think it was their baby, but it's not. And so he actually had Uriah killed. And it's just horrible, and it all ends as we end chapter 11. Uh, it, it basically, when Uriah died, uh, Bathsheba mourned. When the mourning was over, David took, it, took her as his wife, and a lot of people could think, wow, what a great man David is. Her husband gets killed in battle, and David takes her that way. Well, David's trying to hide it all up and trying to make it look like that when the baby comes, it is going to be his baby, and everything's going to be fine. But the passage ends... And it says what David did was evil in the sight of the Lord. And you've got to realize that when we sin, it is evil. It is wrong. It's contrary to God and his character. And, and we're going to see it as we go through this passage. What do we do with sin? Well, first of all, we acknowledge that we've done wrong. We, we, and then we confess it. We say, gosh, I did wrong. And then we confess it. Confessing is to tell on ourselves. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. It comes from the Greek word homo legeo. Homo means same, and legeo means to speak. So to confess means to say the same thing God would say. So when you, if you lied, you'd say, God, I lied. You could say, I'm sorry, I lied. But the bottom line is we say, I lied. And then we forsake it. That's the plan is to not do it again. And then the, the plan is also to guard our lives, guard our hearts, as that uh, Proverbs 4 says. Guard your hearts because that what goes in comes out. We've got to be really careful. This morning as we look at this passage, we're going to see two things, the confrontation and then the discipline. And we see Nathan comes to David. And, and, I mean, let me just tell you, David is taking, I mean, Nathan is taking his life in his hand by coming to David. But we're going to see this. And so, verses 1 through 6, Nathan comes to, to David. Well, if you were Nathan and you're a prophet of God, you have, you have to do what God tells you to do, especially if he tells you to go give a message. We see what happened when Jonah, who was basically a prophet of God, didn't obey God. He ran the other way. Well, he ended up being swallowed by a big old fish. And then get thrown up and look terrible and everything else. No telling what happens to you. And so we're going to see that as Nathan comes to David, he's taking his life in his hands. Because he could confront David. He could say to David, you've done wrong. And David could have him killed. Because he's the king. David could do just about whatever he wants to do. And so he took his life in his hands. You know, as we stand for Christ in a fallen world, in our country, for years and years and years, it's been acceptable and good to stand for God and what's right. But in these last few years, you're noticing that when we stand for what we think is right, sometimes that's not acceptable and good anymore. In fact, sometimes people look at us and think there's something wrong with us. I read a study just last week, and the, uh, it, it was basically a, a people who are unbelievers, and it said, what kind of view do you have of Jesus? And 78% of people who were unbelievers said they had a positive view of Jesus. Then they ask, 
What is your view of those who are followers of Jesus? 31% had a positive view. The rest said no. And they wrote down that we're judgmental and we don't like people. And we, I mean, it's just, it, you know, that's how sometimes our culture looks at us. Sometimes it's our fault. And a lot of times it's not. So David is there and here comes Nathan. And here's what he does. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said... Let's stop for a second. Notice this. It is the Lord who sends Nathan. I don't think Nathan would have gone on his own. Would you have gone to King David and say, oh, David, I, you know, because Nathan, apparently the word of the Lord came to Nathan and said, here's what's happened. Because we don't know if David ever told Nathan. We know that Joab knows what David did. Joab knows that, he, that, that David had Uriah killed. And we know some of the servants know that David brought Bathsheba up to his place. We, we know this. We don't know who else knows everything. But somehow the word of the Lord, when I say somehow, the word of the Lord came to Nathan and told him what happened. And so it says, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. So God is working in David's life. And sometimes we'd say, oh, I bet David wish he hadn't come. When, you, when it's all over with, yeah, he wish he had come. Listen, God is working in our lives, and when we do things wrong, God wants us to get things right. God wants us to live in such a way that, that uh, we bring honor and glory. And so what, what God wants us to deal with sin. He doesn't want us to live in sin. He doesn't want us to live in, out of fellowship from him. He wants us to deal with sin, and that when we sin, we recognize that it's sin, we acknowledge it, we confess it, we forsake it, and we go on with our lives. That's the plan. Well, and, and one thing to think about, God has already dealt with our sins. Jesus Christ already died on the cross to pay for all sin, past, present, future. Uh, Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, to bring us to God. And uh, as believers, uh, we're to deal with sin. We're to confess our sin and have fellowship with God. Well, let's think about Nathan for a second. Nathan is a prophet of God. That's pretty powerful. He, speak, he was sent to speak the word of God. He gets direct revelation from God. You hear people today say, oh, this person's a prophet. Listen, a prophet gets direct revelation from God. The best I can tell from the scriptures aren't any more prophets. They were the foundation of the church. You look at Ephesians, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. There aren't any more apostles, aren't any more prophets. We have the completed revelation. We do not need a person getting direct revelation from God. We have the completed revelation. Let's talk about a prophet. Let's talk about these officers. There were three officers in the Old Testament that were what we call anointed officers. They were prophets, priests, and king, uh, and kings. Prophet uh, were the ones who spoke the word of God. They actually spoke from God to man. They would come give the word of God. A priest was the one who helped worship. They helped with the relationship and fellowship, and they went with man back to God. They would come and represent man to God, and then the king was God's representative. Nobody in the Old Testament had all three offices. Nobody. There were some that were a priest and a king, and there were some who were prophets and priests, but nobody had the office of prophet, priest, and king. Only one, and that's Jesus Christ as the anointed one of God. He is the prophet, priest, and king. He is the prophet because not only does he speak the word of God, he is the word of God. He is the priest because he offers himself as the final sacrifice for sin forever and he lives forever to make intercession for us and he is indeed the king of kings and lord of lords. So that's, that's who the anointed one is. Now Nathan is an anointed because he is, he is uh, God's representative as a prophet. Now I put Nathan was God's representative. So he comes to David and he's going to tell David a story. And I think if you and I went, we'd probably do the same thing. We probably wouldn't say, hey, David, i got to talk to you. By the way, you just blew it really badly. Now, we probably wouldn't start that way. And so Nathan's not going to start that way. He's going to tell a story. And it's going to be about two men. 
One is rich and one is poor. And you could say, well, wonder why he just didn't say, David, you sinned. Well, David may be blind to himself to it. David may, by the time this is passed, David may say, I've forgotten all about that. I'm trying to forget about that. Don't bring this up to me. And so Nathan's going to confront. And let's talk for a second. Confrontation, wow. Truth is, most of the time, none of us want to confront somebody else. You know, if they do something and you know it and you, you, you hate to confront, we hate dealing with that, but this is God's plan. And by the way, why, why is there confrontation about sin? Well, first of all, there's, there's twofold purpose. There's purity in the body. In, the, in, a, in a body, like a, a local church body, when you have sin in the body, it's got to be dealt with. There's going to be purity. And then the whole idea is restoration, that people would stop doing whatever they're doing wrong, and then they'd grow, and they'd do that. And so you think about it. So it's purity. There's not to be sin within the body, and there's restoration. We want people to be in fellowship with God and others. And when people are living in sin and in problems and not dealing with their sin, uh, there's always problems. It's, it's not purity in the body, and there's, then there's, there's really problems. There needs to be restoration. David, the king of Israel, the best we can tell from Scripture is he hasn't dealt with this. He's covered it up. He's probably lying to himself. He probably said, well, Uriah was going to get killed in battle anyway, and, you know, I, I probably needed to have married her, and, and we, were going to have, we would have a baby anyway, probably down the line. So uh, everything's going to work out okay. I mean, that's probably what he's saying to himself, because we, we, that's what we do. We, we try to justify our actions, and we say, I didn't really do that. Or that, if they hadn't put me in that situation, I wouldn't have done that. You know, we've always said this, that if you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, you'll do the wrong thing, so be real careful. And so let's talk, about, let's talk about when somebody does wrong and somebody does wrong to you. So when we do talk about that, there are two responses that we can do when somebody does wrong to us. And the first one is we can overlook it. 1 Peter 4, 8 says, let love cover a multitude of sins. There are times when people offend us and they hurt us in some ways. And sometimes one of the best things to do is just let love cover. Just say, yeah, you know, that's, we all mess up. person messed up. I'm going I'm to love them. I'm going to let it cover over. And that happens a lot. That should happen a lot. Sometimes we just have to let things go. All of us are imperfect, and sometimes we mess up. But there are times that we need to confront because sin does, sin does harm the body. And if whatever they've done is hurting you and hurting the body, it's got to be dealt with and, and, and because it affects the body of Christ and affects the, the fellowship and the relationships. And, and so that's, that's powerful. Now, there are two aspects. And here's what I want you to see from the Scripture. There are two aspects of going. First of all, Matthew 18. We're going to look at Matthew 18 in just a second. Matthew 18 says, when somebody sins against us, we go to them. Now, let's talk about it for a second. And this is something that you're not going to let love cover. This is something that you think is wrong, that this is affecting the body, affecting you, affecting them. And there may be a time that you go to a person. They hurt you in some way, and it's sinful, it's wrong. And you go to them, and you basically go one-to-one, and you say, you know, I don't know if you even realize this, but you really hurt me. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, let me tell you what we do a lot, okay? So Susie hurts me. Let's make this up. She never has. She loves me. She's amazing. And, but she hurts me. So what's the first thing I do? I go to Brian and say, you know, Susie did this. And I go to this person and I say, you know, Susie did this. Am I supposed to do that? No. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go to Susie. I'll see you right after the service, Susie, okay? But anyway, anyways, the bottom line is what do we do? And we'll talk more about that in a second. 
There's another thing in Matthew chapter 5 that actually says, if you realize that you've hurt somebody and you've not dealt with it, and you think, oh my gosh, I didn't, I, then you go. You go to them. That's what Matthew 5 says. It says, if you've offended a brother, then it actually says, if you've gone to the temple to offer your sacrifice and you realize that you've offended somebody and hurt somebody, you set it down and you go get straight with them. That's, that's really the plan. And what's the whole purpose? Purity and restoration. I want you to hold your place right there in Second Samuel and turn over to Matthew 18. Just flip over in your Bible all the way to the New Testament to Matthew chapter 18, and we're just going to look at verses 15, 16, and 17 uh, just real quickly. Most of you know this, and you've heard it, and, but we just want to look at it. That What happens? What's the plan? How do we do this thing? Well, in Matthew 18, verse 15, it says, if your brother sins... Go and show him his fault, notice this, in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. He basically says, go to the person uh, one-on-one and go to them in private and don't tell other people. Don't say this other person how he's done me wrong. Uh, you know, I want to go tell you how he's done me wrong. No, no, you just go to that person. And it basically says if you go to him and you say, do you know this hurt me really badly? And that they say, I'm so sorry, I didn't, I didn't realize it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. If he listens to you, you've won him. But, but what if he doesn't? What if he goes, I don't care. I didn't hurt you. You're just a big baby is what you are. I mean, you know, I didn't hurt you. So what does it say to do? It says, if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And you go back and it's, it's with people who know about it as well. It's not somebody stranger. It's somebody that's close enough that they're un- understanding what's happening. And you go to that person and that's where it says two or three. Because in the Old Testament, you couldn't, you couldn't accuse somebody of something with one witness. You had to have at least two or three witnesses. That way somebody, you just couldn't make an accusation and a person get in trouble. Well, notice what he says. If he does not listen to you, take two or three more with you so the mouth of every witness, you know, uh, every fact. If he refuses to listen to them. Now, this takes it to the third thing. It says, tell it to the church. When it says to the church, be careful there. Sometimes people think that means that after you've gone to somebody, you stand up in front of everybody and say, by the way, that person offended me. No, telling it to the church means you go to the leadership. It has the idea. It's still a private aspect. You go and you get with the leadership of the body. We're going to see later on in Galatians, it talks about the mature people. And you go to them and you tell them what's happening. And hopefully it works. It says, if, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, meaning the leadership of the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That basically means remove them. There's a discipline. And the Bible talks about removing people from the body, that kind of thing. It's real rare today. And here's why. Here's why. If someone does something wrong and somebody confronts them one-on-one and they go, I don't care, and then two or three go and they say, I don't care, and then maybe some of the leadership from the church go, I don't care, they'll just leave the church and go to another church. And when they go to another church, they go to another church and say, I just left Stillwater Bible. They're really wicked over there. They're mean. And they just say, well, welcome right into our fellowship. And so today it's really harder in the first century than one but one church, Right? There might be a lot of house churches, but there was just one, there was one church of Corinth and one church of Rome and one church, and because, and they would meet in all these different groups, but there was a connection there. And so if you got removed from one of those groups, you didn't go to another group. 
And that's what happened. We remember in the book of Corinthians, there was a man having sexual relations with his stepmother. The church had not dealt with that. And Paul wrote to them and said, deal with him, remove the body, you know, deal with him. And then if he doesn't deal with it, move him out of the body. And they moved him out of the body. And then as you read 2 Corinthians, he actually dealt with his sin and wanted to come back to the body. And the church wasn't willing to take him back. So Paul writes and says, take him back into the body. He's dealt with his sin. So these kind of things happen. And so sometimes in our lives we see this, and that's why in Galatians 6.1, it says, you that are spiritual are the ones to deal with these issues. That's why it goes back to the leadership of the church and not to the body as a whole. You don't announce to the body as a whole. It may be toward the end when a person is removed from the body. It may be that you have to make a public declaration of that in some way. Uh, I've been a pastor for 40 years. We've never done that. In fact, as I said, when you get close to dealing with people who are doing something that's wrong, they just usually leave. And then you, and, and, and by the way, when I first came to Stillwater in 1985, there was a case in the state of Oklahoma where a woman was in a church, she was in the Church of Christ, and that she was living with somebody she wasn't married to, so the church came to her and said, we're removing you from the body publicly. And they made it public. And she had already said, I'm no longer a member of the church. And she left. And they made it public. She sued them and won because the state of Oklahoma said if she wasn't a member of the church anymore, they did not have the right to publicly do that. So that's why it seems like when people sort of get into trouble, they just leave and go somewhere else. Makes it easier for them. It's not necessarily biblical, but it's easier for them. So those that are spiritual, and we go in love, and we do it carefully, and we'll talk more about that. So uh, the bottom line is uh, oftentimes we ought to just let love cover. But if there's sin in the body, that it needs to be confronted. Let me just go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12 again, and we're going to see the story now. And let's see what happens. It says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Wow. You can see Nathan saying, wow, i got to go do this. And you can see David saying, what do you want? Because he knows Nathan's a prophet. I mean, when a prophet comes to you in that day and time, and they're a prophet like Elijah, Elisha, or Isaiah, or Jeremiah, or Nathan, and those, I mean, they speak the word of the Lord, so you don't mess around. You don't just say, I don't listen to you. The Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said, "Uh, there were two men in one city. The one rich and the other poor. Now, the way he's talking, uh, we don't know whether he said to David, let me tell you a story about two men, or he just starts off, there's two men in a city. And, and David may be thinking, wait a minute, this is, this is true. This is, what, this is what's going on right now. Nathan's telling them a story and going to use it as an analogy, but David could be saying to himself, oh, okay, there's a rich man and a poor man. Well, what happens? There were two men in the city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man, he had nothing except this uh, little bitty lamb, which he brought and nourished. And, and look, grew up together with him as his ch- and his children. I mean, this is his pet. This is not one he's going to eat. This is his pet. It would drink bread. Uh, it would eat bread, drink the cup, uh, lie in his bosom, and he, and he treated it like a daughter. He said, this is my pet. Well, we all have had dogs and cats and things like that. We know what pets are. We love them. I mean, they jump on the couch, and they come up and hug you and kiss you and everything. I mean, it's just, we love them. And so this little lamb was like that to him and his family. And 
So what happened? He says, well, here's what happened. A traveler, now a traveler came to the rich man. This is the rich man who has everything. In fact, it says he has great many flocks and herds. A traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd. Now, he's going he's gonna to feed the guy. The guy comes, and so you've got to feed him. So where is he going to get the, the food? He's got many flocks and herds. But it says he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. He said, I'm, I'm not taking my own stuff. He went. Look what he did. Rather, he took the poor man's little lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. You want somebody to kill your your pet? I mean, most of the people aren't going to eat our pets, but but if it was a pet that you could eat, what is that what you want? You'd say, this is horrible. This is horrible. He killed it and ate it. This rich man who has everything takes from a poor man who has just one thing, takes it away, kills it, and eats it. Well, you can see David, he's going, this is so wrong. Look what it says. And David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He said, this is so bad. This man ought to, this man ought to die. David's anger burned greatly. Now, he, 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 thinks the, he thinks he deserves to die. In fact, that's what he says. As he lives, he deserves to die. Now, I want you to understand something. The law, the Mosaic law, did not require death for stealing of another's animal. They didn't. Listen, did you know they didn't really have jails? They didn't have jails. They didn't lock people up in jail. Not under the Mosaic law. If you did something wrong, there were certain things that you had to do. And if you stole somebody's animal, you had to pay back fourfold. They had to pay back fourfold. If you did something else, you had to do something. If you did certain uh, crimes, they killed you. They didn't put you in jail and keep you there for 30 years. They killed you. You murdered, adultery, things like that. You, you died. Stealing somebody's animal was not a capital offense. The law did not require the death for stealing, but it had to be replaced. It had to be replaced. Look what David says. David says in verse 6, He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. And it's true. He had to make restitution for the lamb. And here's the deal. Under the Mosaic law, he had to give the man four sheep to replace the one that he stole. So if you stole somebody's sheep, you had to give him four. That's the Mosaic law. And David knows the law. David is quoting Exodus 22.1. That if you do that, you have to take and, and fourfold restitution. David knew his Bible, didn't he? But knowing the Bible didn't always, didn't always keep us from sinning, does it? Not unless we obey it. Not unless we live it out. See, the goal of the study of the Word of God is not knowledge. The goal of the study of the Word of God is application. Know it and apply it. Then pass it on to other people. David explodes. David says, this man ought to die. In fact, he, he's got to pay back at least fourfold. So David, at this stage, probably thinks this is a real story, that this is really happening. And David saw the rich man as having no concern. Look what he says. He did this thing and he had no compassion. He said he didn't really care. He didn't care. He took something that didn't belong to him, and he didn't really care what happened to the man. Now think about David. When he got Bathsheba, did he care about Uriah then? 
When he had Uriah killed, did he care about Uriah? It's so easy to look at one thing and look at another. Here's the confrontation. Nathan says to David, you are the man. Look what it says. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. Not Nathan. Nathan's not saying it. God is saying it. It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of of Saul. And then he goes on, and we're not going to get that this morning, but God's going to give David some information. How's David going to respond to this? Well, as we look at the passage next time, we're going to see that David says, I have sinned. He deals with it. You're the man, David. You're the man. You're the rich one that had everything, and Uriah was the poor one that had one thing, and you came and took the guy's one thing, and you took it away. And David's judgment was right. David said, this man deserves to die, and he's got to pay back fourfold. Under the Mosaic law, did David deserve to die? Yes or no? Yes. In fact, when David admits this and says, I've done it, he could be put to death for both adultery and murder. And he's going to have to pay back fourfold. Well, what's he going to pay back fourfold? What could it be? Well, let me tell you how God is such a gracious God. And this is how he deals with me, and this is how he deals with you. We don't always get what we deserve. In fact, most of the time we don't get what we deserve. We get the grace of God instead of the justice of God. The justice of God was poured out on his son, Jesus Christ, so that we receive the grace and the mercy of God. And let me tell you what God's going to do. God in his grace is going to allow David to live. I'm going to read the verse to you. 2 Samuel 12, first, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord, listen to this, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Is that grace? Under the Mosaic law, could David be put to death? Yes. God says, no. Do we all deserve to die? Wages of sin is what? We all sin, don't we? What's supposed to happen to us? We're supposed to all be separated from God, but Jesus came and died in our place. So the justice of God does not fall on us. The justice of God fell on Jesus Christ, and the grace and mercy of God falls on us, and he says to us, you will surely not. You will never be separated from me ever, ever, ever. But David will pay back. And it's going to be four sons. And that's why the rest of the book is horrible. Because David took somebody, and now he's going to lose four. And the rest of the book is him losing four sons. And so when you look back and David, and you say, David, you think I was worth it? And he goes, there's no way. And sometimes we do sin and we think it's worth it and then we look back and we go, no way. Hebrews 12, 6 through 13 says, For whom the Lord loves, he chases and scourges every child he receives. He loves us and disciplines us. He loves David. He loved David. He calls David a man after his own heart and he loves him beyond what we could imagine. And he even let David live. But David, 
There were consequences. And in our lives, we sin and we come short of the glory of God. And he allows us to live. He sent his son to die for us. And even when we sin and we in open rebellion against God, he loves us beyond what we could imagine. And there may be consequences, but God gives us grace and mercy. So what have we seen? We say Nathan confronts David, story of the rich man and the poor man. David's response, the man deserves to die, and he's got to pay back fourfold. And Nathan says, David, you're the man. And we'll see more next time. So let's do this. Let's, let's, let's think about it. Let's deal with sin in our lives. I mean, we have to. We have to. What are we supposed to do? Confess it. You know, God loves us. His love never changes. By the way, th- just think about this. If you're, when you are in open rebellion against God, his love is still at the top. When you're serving God, his love is at the top. When you're obeying God, his love is at the top. When you're disobeying God, his love is at the top. It never changes. He doesn't say, I used to love you a lot, but I don't love you as much now because you're sinning. No, he loves you. His love never changes. But what are we to do? We're to confess it, we're to forsake it, and we're to go on. That's the plan. There's the second thing. Let's understand that there are times that we must confront sin within the body. Sometimes, I mean, we know it's, it's for restoration that the person who's sinning would get back and be in fellowship, and it's for the purity of the body. And then sometimes if others hurt us, what do we do? Well, we can't just let love cover. First Peter 4, 8, let love cover a multitude of sins. Just let it cover over. Because sometimes it's just not, it's not, that, it's not that big a deal. It's, it's a thing of saying we all mess up. We're all people and we all mess up. And sometimes we just let love cover. But if it's not something you can let love cover, if it's not, then don't talk to somebody else about it. That's called gossip. That You go to the person directly. I had a person come see me one time in my office. And they said, they said I need to talk to you about something. I said, okay. And they said... And they named somebody in, in our church, and they began to tell me what that person was doing wrong. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, why are you telling me? This is between you and what? That person. I said, you don't, but you're the pastor. You ought to know. I said, no, I don't need to know. See, I don't need to know if a person does something wrong to you, because if you can go to them one-on-one and it's taken care of, nobody will ever know. Why am I supposed to know? I'm only supposed to know if it gets back to about third or fourth section of this thing. So when somebody does us wrong, don't go to somebody else. Go to the person. If, if we can't let love cover, then go to the person. That's what we're supposed to do.